0: How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Yeah, appreciate you coming out and making the time. I know we misconnected the first time, but glad we got this uh, all set up to do today. Me as well. Yeah. So, interestingly, you know, you've one of the reasons I reached out is is you're you're obviously you're, you're a filmmaker who does who makes quite a few films actually. You've, you've made. I looked at your IMDb. You've you've, <laughs> you've been a part of a lot of projects, um, indeed. Um, Which is interesting because I actually, you know, when I started this, um, this little show uh, with Mike, um, we we, he and I met at a school for going to school for recording arts. But they also had film there. And so knew a lot of people in film as well. So um, how did how did just out of curiosity, like starting way back, you know, because I know a lot of people in, in entertainment realms because of that connection. Um, how did you, what's been like your journey into the filmmaking career before we jump into all the other cool stuff?
1: So, um, the, the final entry is, is like a cannabis related story. So I'll, I'll get into that kind of ultimately, but when I was young, it was like, um, this was coming and my, I honestly should have been in this whole world far sooner. Mm. then it has turned out there were all kinds of little moments in my life where um, it was like the door was opening but it, my parents just never really pursued it I think they thought it was like a
0: bad thing
1: so um, when I was I'm, I have red hair and blue eyes right And when I was a little kid
0: does that mean something like
1: apparently this is rare or something oh, okay. or it's just very photogenic I'm oh, not sure exactly what it is but I know that um,
0: it's definitely contrasting, right? Yeah, I guess. yeah, that's
1: that's part of it. Like, and, and I have seen it on some other people on camera that where you you kind of catch it, hmm. well, and and it can change from different. Usually, girls kind of um, really get vibe that so long red
0: hair eyes. right around the eyes. Yeah, yeah. but if,
1: you know, nevertheless, I had uh, when I went to school. I went to school with one of the the kids that was on a, a show called Kids Incorporated.
0: Ah. I've heard of this. Yeah, yes, was, I remember. It was popular when I was yeah. a little
1: kid, and his parents said to my parents, "Oh, let us—you should get him into commercials." Mm. Da, da 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 Right, and they they never pursued it. Um, at school, I was always like in the school plays and like doing really well and all this stuff. Like I would have a leading character type thing, and um, I when I was just a really little kid, my dad took me to Tombstone. Arizona, the real tombstone. The story. real tombstone. Yeah, and they have like a reenactment thing, or at least then they had this reenactment thing that they would do with all these like cowboys in the street stuff, and I was dressed up full on like a cowboy. Okay, <laughs> they took my picture for the the newspaper, you know. Oh wow! And so like, there's been all these little moments growing up um, to where I am now, and when I first went to Amsterdam, I shot. Uh, of like a home movie of like everything. When I, got back, I cut it into like a little movie and it's like about an hour long. And I made that with two VCRs and a DVD player or a CD player, a Walkman. Yeah. And I just had it all plugged in and it was like super primitive. Now, when was this? Gosh, that was like maybe early 2000s. I would yeah. say so right that's, that's,
0: that's, that's, you gotta taking into consideration, the time for the equipment as oh, well. Exactly. You know?
1: Like we went in 99. So it could have been in 99, but probably I didn't get to it till like early 2000, like January, February, that year. Yeah. And um, I, I put that since on YouTube and all kinds of people have seen it. Not that that many, but people have seen it. And every once in a while, somebody will say to me, hey, I've seen your video. <laughs> but it was great. Like I cut it into this whole thing with all these little moments that happened and when I watch it and like other, some other people I've watched it, um, it's entertaining, yeah. you know, it's more than just a home movie. And uh, I went back and I tried to film like a series of videos educationally about Amsterdam, but YouTube kind of came out during that process and soured my whole life So you put up. out
0: the first video before YouTube. Before YouTube oh, wow. existed.
1: Yeah. My plan was, Uh, to just make it for me and my friends and maybe like make a few videotapes to sell if it was like, if that seemed like an option, but nobody really wanted to buy it. So I never really went any further than just me and my friends and copies of it. Um, but doing all of that led me to eventually get to, and, and growing up also, I had other friends that were in film, um. I went to a school where there were like actors at the school. Like I have all these, you live in LA.
0: So you grew up out here. Yeah. 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 I I
1: lived in um, San Fernando Valley pretty much my whole life. And then I moved to Hollywood for like my Mm twenties. So you're around these people all the time, you know, doing this or that. And you have friends that went to school for this. and It's a common thing. So I've been around it a lot, but uh, I didn't really get into it until I was in the cannabis industry. And so um, we were doing these events. There's a long story of how it got up to that, but we were doing these events that were competitions and I knew it was a really special thing. We're traveling all over the country to do that. And so I wanted to document this. And uh, after the first few events, we were able to start hiring a, a team to come out and start filming. Mm-hmm. And so that process, I thought originally it was gonna not be a documentary. I thought I just wanted to like video each event basically and then make maybe like a little highlight video after each event to promote the next event. Right. But that whole process took far longer than I thought it was going to take because we were having events like every couple months. So this was quick. <laughs> right. And for me to be able to use it in, in a really uh efficient way. It just didn't seem like it was coming together that way. And then the other thing was we had spent a lot on it. And so to keep doing it didn't seem feasible. Um, but maybe we could make it into something more. What we had was really good. Yeah, And so I was impressed with that. And I thought, Oh, okay, maybe, and they were doing stuff that like they had interviewed us and stuff like that. And I thought, Oh, this maybe could be a documentary. Hmm. And so that was my base, my real beginning into filmmaking, where I, I kind of decided in my mind, like, we are going to make a documentary at a certain point. And, uh, we just kept filming and kept kind of, I kept pushing and there was like this and that, that didn't go right. But eventually we had a finished product. And, um, you know, I, I put a lot of myself into making sure that I'd like Noting times down, helping, oh, what, what's the problem? Oh, I need to get this and that, like, it was ridiculous. And, uh, once we had finished it ourselves then like taking it and saying to all the people in the cannabis industry that had connections, quote unquote, to vice or Mm. to, uh, Netflix or whoever it was, you know, and no one really had any connections, like. Uh, they didn't have enough pull to be able to show my film to, do, to someone who could make a decision Right? Say, yes, we want this or no, we don't want this or anything like that. So it was just closed door, closed door, closed door. And, and like that was about five years in. So it took me five years to get to that point. Right. So then I had to find other film connections. So I'm basically... Okay, ground floor again <laughs> somebody and many closed doors but eventually a friend uh my friend marty she introduced me to someone who introduced me to someone who introduced me to someone mm-hmm. and uh basically um, a guy named paul McMinn introduced me to my current partner jason horton and he goes by J horton and he had done a bunch of horror movies, um, low budget, and he had worked for Fox editing and he was trying to get into documentaries, but there were some things that he wasn't the best at that um, Paul thought me and him could work together, that maybe I could bring some projects to him and you know what he could do would complement what I could bring to the table. And then as we started working together, he started saying, oh, look, he taught me how to make my part of the filmmaking process, basically. So now he moved to Georgia, and so when we do our films, uh, I do the recording of the video, I do the sound, and I do uh, the lighting. Mm. So I basically do the whole film shoot, very similar to this kind of thing, (laughs) right? And then I send it over to him, and he does the whole post process. I see. And after working with him on a few new projects, I was like, listen, I have this old project. We haven't been able to get it anywhere. Like maybe you could help me get it finished. And he did. And uh, nine years (laughs) in the making the secret cup is now out. It's been winning awards at various different little festivals, cannabis and non-cannabis related. And I'm very, uh, proud of it. It's not the best documentary of all time or anything. i do not like uh, Martin Corp Scorsese or like <laughs> anyone, but uh, I'm very proud of it. So,
0: well, I think, I think you put it, if you put it in context to the time, you know, because it's not something that just happened last year. You know, it happened almost a decade ago at this at this point. Right. So I think that's important to to think about the climate around cannabis at the time when it was shot Um, in because, you know, when I was watching it, I'm sitting here thinking all these people are would be breaking the law, right? You know, they were breaking the law at the time, but it was even more than what it is now. At that time, you know, it it was much riskier to be to be doing those things. But there has always been a, I uh I mean the cannabis culture, there's really something to what that means and what it is. And it it starts at the very local level with with the very individuals that have the passion for it and put in the time and are willing to take the risk for it you know it's it's interesting you know there's uh, you know just just recently you know uh, there's a lot of legislation that's going through at the state level or being considered at least and it's it's interesting to see how Um, you know, those same people, you know, especially the ones I I think about because they finally formed a coalition are the ones up in the Emerald Triangle area, the growers up there. And so now they have sort of representation at the lobbying level, which is, you know, kind of unique because they have a voice on some of these topics. Um, But it's it's interesting because uh, those are the people that still are Figuring out, trying to figure out how to find a way in this new world, this new industry as it's forming, and they're the ones that really, some of them literally waged war, <laughs> had war waged on them, I should say, um, and and paid a lot of them paid the price for it, which um, you know is is something is a whole whole another thing with expungements and everything else.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Well, when we were doing our events uh, as traveled. All over the country, uh, the the climate of cannabis was very different from place to place, uh, based on the laws and, and based right. on the culture. Kind of like um,
0: at the time you're doing this, though, it's not legal anywhere, right? Or not recreational? Not recreationally. Well, well,
1: actually, I lie. So the very, very first Secret Cup was in Colorado, and it was planned to be the very first recreational event. Nice. And it was almost not, they, they had one of those moments where they were like, nope, we need to reconsider this. It was supposed to be signed on a certain day. And then like leading up to that day, we were all in town and they had said, nope, we're not going to do it on that day. And I, there was a moment I remember where um, my partner, uh, eventually we weren't partners at that time. I was just there helping. And I remember him like kind of having a moment like, oh no, what do we do? And uh, the consensus was we move forward. Even if this doesn't happen, we're going to do it regardless. And luckily for us, they also had one of those midnight signings where just overnight, unannounced, we wake up in the morning, signed it overnight. Good news, today it's legal. Oh, wow. And
0: so not only so you weren't expecting that to happen, no,
1: no. They announced, we're going to have to reconsider this. And there was like a whole moment. I see. But then like just a day or two later, they just announced, oh yeah, by the way, we just signed that over the night,
0: went ahead and did it. (laughs) I guess
1: we re talked about it and that was it. And I I believe that it was signed even prior to the date that it was supposed to be signed. Mm -hmm. So, it was before our event, regardless of when it was. Yeah. And so our event was the very first legal event in any sort of recreationally legal place. Uh, Amsterdam it is not technically legal. Right, right. It's like a weird law they It had. is. So, yeah, I was very happy to kind of be there and be a part of that. But absolutely, in most of the other places, they had medical at very least. Okay. So... We pretty much didn't go to anywhere that didn't at least have some sort of to stand on, medical at least. Although we did uh, Amsterdam and Spain, which have like kind of.
0: It's different. Yeah. I've been, been to both of those places. It's, it's a little more culturally lax. Yeah.
1: So it's not the way we work where it's like either legal or medical.
0: Yeah. 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 (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's it's just a different culture over there too um, yeah a little more laid back especially in spain um, it's just a little more of a laid back atmosphere and lifestyle in general
1: absolutely the spain clubs are real weird you have to have a member bring you into the club to be able to be a member and so and unless you you go at a certain time we went at a time called Spanibus, oh okay right yeah So there's an event called Spanibus and they just call the week before Spanibus. And so, uh, all those clubs are basically letting people in, in a different way.
0: Oh, Interesting.
1: So it's very similar to Amsterdam at that time, but unlike Amsterdam, a lot of those clubs, they just don't have any sort of signage at all. It's literally Mm. like a black door. Yeah, that's the place. Yeah. So, uh, but they, unlike Amsterdam, they have BHO, they dab, so it's, it is like the, the pinnacle for European cannabis, but yeah. like in a way I still think Amsterdam is the pinnacle of all the whole world for cannabis.
0: I certainly have always felt that way and I feel fortunate to have went at a time I think when it was still good. But I'm afraid that it is starting to lose some of its luster, not just because of the development of other markets, but also just because they've kind of started to crack, you know, crunch down on some things over there. Like, you know, the whole, you know, and nobody nobody in britain hate me or england hate me but you know i heard of the silly brits that go over there and got messed up on mushrooms and you know things happened and now they don't have them but they do have some other stuff that's uh pretty good too those truffles
1: it's true and and the way i like to put it is uh so i i went in confirmed. fact i would
0: say the truffles are maybe better than mushrooms so
1: i mean they're a very similar product and ultimately very similar. Yeah. Like dose wise, you could have a stronger yeah. truffle than um, a, a mushroom. It's not impossible. That's yeah. entirely likely, but um, yes, I'm with you. If you went in the nineties, <laughs> it was a different place. Yeah. Right? And, and uh, back then, even early two thousands, like your money went further, it was just a, a lot more free in certain ways. Uh, still though, if you go, I'm, I haven't been in a few years, but I see some videos and pictures still. Yeah. It still seems like mostly the same place. And as far as like like cannabis, like uh, shops, right. where you can like go and smoke weed or buy weed, uh, our dispensaries are cool and everything, but they're basically just sales points. When, when it was medical, they had a little bit of the smoking and it still wasn't as cool as Amsterdam, but it was something. Um, there were a couple places maybe that that you know got close. Yeah. But Amsterdam is so cool. Like the signs on the outside are just retarded with awesome. weed, like yeah. and all kinds of different themes. They're using all kinds of like uh characters and things that you're familiar with and they're all stoned and everything. It's just in your face, cannabis. They're not shy about it at all you walk around people are just like sitting down in the middle of the street rolling up the
0: cannabis, yeah. and
1: it's, it's like a whole, you feel like, Oh, this is a cannabis town. This is not like Even Colorado or Hollywood right. or whatever, you know, we have what we have, but it is not like that. Like,
0: no, there's a freedom that they have to be able to smoke. And I think that's the one thing that that's not acceptable here. And, Unfortunately, we will never have it that way, because even when it comes to tobacco smoking, people around here are fanatical about not smoking. It's crazy to me. Like, there are some bars, when I walk into them, I'm like, this is bars missing something. I know what it is. It's a slight haze of smoke in the air. That's what this atmosphere is missing to make it perfect. And it's so frustrating to me. I mean... You know, if you don't want to go in the smoky bar, don't go in the smoky bar. But some of us like to hang out in the smoky bar once in a while. And I think that's the thing that's missing from the whole everybody that's trying. You're right about this because the and look, that is one of the selling points I think the industry has to make. Uh, for being able to open up in some of these new jurisdictions that are slightly reluctant, maybe even being forced by initiatives, is to be able to say, look, it's not like what you experienced during the medical days. It looks like an Apple store or it looks like, you know, a a high-end retail store, which is great. And I do like some of that. But the thing that we we don't have over here and I don't think that the industry has grasped because I've talked to a lot of people who are trying to do consumption lounges and it's like, you know, it's it's very much a thing where there are timing and it's like this and that. And I keep telling them, I'm like, look, just sell them the weed, let them sit down and have other stuff just like they do in Amsterdam. Don't overcomplicate anything, just have. Make your money on the muffins and the cookies and the sodas and all that other shit. Like you can sell that stuff all day and you're not going to be concerned if they sit there for 45 minutes while they smoke a blunt. It's not going to be a big deal. But so far, you know, nobody's really taken that approach. And it and again, it is also that environment of Amsterdam. Those shops over there, you can just they're, they're very inviting to sit down and stay for a while. There's like couches and you, know, you go out on the patio and out front and you just sit and watch people walk. And that's so, like amazing. It's
1: painting. It know? is. And uh, you have that aspect of how, how um, easily travel uh, or, or navigated rather, how easily navigated the city is for a pedestrian. You know, you can right. just hop on a tram or now you have Uber, you know, Uber, anywhere like, you want.
0: I like Uber. the public transportation yeah. over there though. It's fun. It's it's really
1: amazing and, and efficient pretty much any way you want to travel. You walk yeah. very efficiently. A lot of places, it's just really, really conducive for that kind of thing. So this is what I always try to tell the consumption mouses is, is you are not the place where they are going. You're the place where they go before or after.
0: Absolutely.
1: They're going to do something, but, We'll stop at the lounge and get some weed and maybe hang out for a little while, but we're not going to hang out there all night. Those people—it's a different kind of person. Yeah. Uh, the person that you're really trying to appeal to with these kind of things are pop in, go do something else, pop in after that kind of person. Yeah. That's how like it will work really well in society that way. Like if it were attached to a movie theater think you'd have a really effective uh, <laughs> lounge right there, or, or something similar, yeah. you know? And maybe a comedy, stand-up comedy place that has like a, a weed lounge.
0: Stand-up in. comedy would be? These kind of things, it has to
1: be attached yeah. to something that is the actual attraction. Because cannabis, as much as I love it, it's not the attraction. It's like an addition to what it is that you're
0: doing. It's, it's
1: a supplement. <laughs>
0: Have you done it? Weed makes everything better, right? That's the joke. Just a John Stewart joke. Yeah, no, you, I think you're exactly right because, and it's funny because it's part of what, you know, I, I've worked in most, mostly every aspect of, of cannabis from, from cultivation to now i work largely in licensing um, and, and so forth. And part of the big discussion we have is, man, will you let us open up our store somewhere reasonable? <laughs> like it's and, and that's part of that argument because when you start saying that I'm like man a movie theater would be amazing but the, I that's can but possible. they're <laughs> never going to do anywhere that has anything to do with anyone that could be under 21 at all you're not going to be anywhere the near the
1: only way is if you buy like an old movie theater and it is only allowed to be for cannabis people
0: a cannabis like, theater geez
1: this, we are forced At the current moment, to do some pretty outrageous business designs, to where, I mean, you could have a quality place right now.
0: Unreasonable by most other industry standards. It's it's (laughs) going to be
1: nuts. You're you're going to have to jump through a million hoops to be able to do what you're going to do, and maybe you can't show the current movies, or I mean, I don't know how you would do it for the like, but it's doable. It's not impossible. We can do it, and so. It's just gonna take a little time, but some of these things are coming. And, and right now what we have are celebrity endorsed places. And we'll see how that goes, you know? Like, uh, like
0: what do you mean? The, so brand, the Mo- brands, brands or? Is
1: the one that did the first one, the Lowell Farms in West Hollywood. Uh, and I think there were maybe some other celebrities. There was some attached others attached
0: to that, to that one, yeah. Uh, but I think they did the wrong model though. Like tried to make it an over the top chef come in like it's too much. Like some people might want to do that, but.
1: And, and, uh, part of it is longevity, right? You, 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 can be the hot thing for a few weeks and it absolutely was, you know, but, um, how much money did you put into getting there? How long does it have to be the hot thing before you've got your ROI, you know? So like,
0: I don't think they met their ROI because they got, I think they didn't, I think they failed a health inspection and, and then, and then COVID happened and now everybody sort of forgot about it.
1: Not only is it, is it like, um,
0: I was like, I felt so bad when that happened. Cause it was yeah. like, God, you're the first one you've gotten all this press and it's like, now yeah, everybody's going to think that it's, it can't be done. Yeah. The stoners are going to fuck it up. And, and then
1: what they did was they split ways, and then they changed the name of it. And I'm not up on where it's at. Maybe it's. I think it's, it's back, back
0: open now, but, but I don't know how. It just does
1: seem like um, that. That's not the future of cannabis, in my opinion. I don't think like so. The future, in, in my eyes, is more similar to the Amsterdam thing. I don't, I don't
0: like to sit down at a fancy table. And, and smoke, I like to relax a little bit. Yeah. You know.
1: I look at it that way as well. And, and so, like, I can do that. I can sit down and we can have edibles and weed in the food and, and weed that I can smoke with the food. I prefer that. Yeah. But, uh, like, that's not how I normally enjoy cannabis. You know? <laughs> right. Like, normally I'm, like, doing something else and then I'm smoking, like, right yeah. before. So if that could be, like incorporated into like the same area where I'm trying to do that. Like Absolutely. Going out to this club to see a band or whatever, you know, weed lounge is like down the street. Yeah. Perfect. You know, that's, that's how it needs to be into society for, for me to utilize this. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm way off and young people are like on a whole other page, but it doesn't. I don't right think so. Me. Yeah.
0: I don't think so. I recently was involved with putting on a a festival here in Riverside County and we it was we attempted to make cannabis the focus of it and versus the 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 entertainment, you know, it was it was we tried to flip flop it. And I think that was the, the lesson learned. I mean, it was a good event. It went off well, it was successful, but looking back on it you know it's like you know i feel like cannabis is the complimentary thing versus people are there to do something with the cannabis yeah. there
1: it, it, it depends who you're going for and what you're kind of trying to do but uh, and also some of that is a balancing act right so um cannabis not only is it not the attraction sometimes it is specifically a turnoff right right so you know, maybe we want to go see this band, but do we want to go see this band at the Cannabis Festival or do right. we want to see this band or, or better this rapper, you know, do we want to see this rapper in a club where we're like kind of close, it's cheaper, it's a rowdy environment, you know, right? Like, or do we want to see this person at a festival where it's it's cool, yeah, but it's not the same as like a club type thing. And as the festival promoter, you're going to pay a lot more yeah. for this person to come to a big festival. Oh, for sure. Right? So how worth it is it to right. have this person or that person? And it's so difficult. I, I learned both lessons, right? Yeah. So um, you, I always like to say you can't buy your way out of it. Once you plan your event and you're seeing kind of how it's going, don't think that, oh, I'm going to hire Snoop Dogg. it's not going to to work that way yeah so um it's it's very fine line and and you have to know kind of where you're at it's just uh, the canvas event world is very difficult
0: it is difficult it'll be interesting because i think a lot of people are very excited about uh the you know there's the events license that's going to be available now and um It'll be interesting to see how people utilize that exactly because there's not exactly a proven and it's, I think the same thing at this point, I think obviously in Amsterdam, they figured it out. But over here, I don't think people have quite figured out the profit model for consumption lounges or cannabis events yet because neither one of those can you have alcohol and alcohol has an amazing markups on it. And the way, even if you're the licensed person putting on the event for a cannabis, you know, it's, it's really hard to, to figure out that profit model. It's, you know, it's a, it's a different beast right now with the way it's regulated versus honestly, the way alcohol is regulated, which is still regulated, but not nearly as much as cannabis. Even
1: the, the idea is right. uh, You have to find where you're going to make your money.
0: So, yeah. you
1: know, like you said, a bar is making their money on drinks, no. right? That's how they're making it. But is a cannabis lounge going to make their money on cannabis? It doesn't really work that way. No,
0: it doesn't. You know,
1: people aren't just like, I mean, I guess you could do dabs, right? And like you pay per dab kind of thing, but you're just not going to get that much right money. Now,
0: the, right now, the problem for that is there's no packaging for single serving
1: Oh, yeah, I guess products. We'll it because of
0: that. It's something we just – I just there's encountered this recently because we had a dab bar, and, and sure enough, but the only packaging they could do, like, 0.2 of a dab okay. is in a full-size, you know, jar for a, a gram or a half gram of, you know, there's nothing. Yeah. You know, it's not packaging-friendly. It's not yeah. cost savings at all. No. It's, no, it's not. There's a lot of things that need to – need to really evolve to make it work well yeah
1: you're basically gonna have to break the law if you're gonna try and do any sort of reasonable thing where you're just okay i've got a jar and i'm gonna give you a dab and that's not legal yeah so uh
0: well you could maybe have them i don't know there's got to be a way there is i'm sure there's a way to pre-package like a point two in a reasonable what what are the
1: rules on sharing Right. Like I, yeah. I, am, I'm not up on all the latest rules. Yeah. And I remember that for a little while it was illegal to give away cannabis mm-hmm. because it was not taxed. But if it were bought, is it legal to give someone a dab after that? Cause then.
0: See, I think if you're doing it in the privacy of your own home is one thing versus if you're doing it as at a public event. Right. Of course it you is. You know, yeah. I think that's where it gets so tricky. And this is what frustrates. And I think this is why this hasn't been worked out yet is because, you know, people just want to go in and be like, can I see that weed, that weed, that weed. Okay. I want that one. Yeah. And then they want to just go buy it and they want to go get some snacks. And then we'll go sit down with their friends Obviously. at a table and just light up and, and not worry about all this other stuff that we're talking
1: about. <laughs>
0: you, hit it on the head, you know, it's crazy. And, and that's it and,
1: and until it is that way it is not going to be ideal. Yeah. There might be you can maybe do it and everything. Sure. But when it is that way, then it will be a different animal. And, and it will be 100%. Really if it never gets to be that way, maybe it will just always be this kind of small thing that it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, agreed. I'm not, I, yeah, I I people talk about it having a huge potential. Um, and I think the potential is there, but I don't think it can reach that potential with the way it's currently set up or structured. So we talked a little bit about how you got into filmmaking. You got into filmmaking through cannabis. How did you get into cannabis?
1: So uh, that is a martial arts related story. So, <laughs> Everything's connected. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is. It's all connected. So... so. Um, Of course, cannabis kind of came to me as a kid. I remember I was in grade school and I was a nerdy kid to a certain degree. And it was not cool to be the nerdy kid. Now it's like every TV show. is like a group of nerdy kids. And it's cool to be a nerd.
0: It's literally Revenge of the Nerds now, (laughs) right?
1: right? (laughs) It was not cool. We were like the outcasts of the school. And uh, I remember all the kids in my school were like listening to Cypress Hill. Inside we of still talk about smoking weed. And uh, I didn't really know a lot about it and it seemed kind of like bad, but like kind of cool also. And uh, then I started like noticing weed being referenced in other music. And uh, I had a, a friend that uh, we, we kind of got out of grade school and none of us had access to weed at, in grade school. And this was happening like kind of right at the end of, of our grade school experience, like eighth grade. Right. So, and so uh, the summer or some sometime between that and, and the early starting high school, me and my friends decided we were like, am going to try and smoke pot. Right. And so I remember my friend. Decision
0: is made. Yes. Council uh, was held round table votes were made. Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> like, bought, we were talking about it. There was this movie coming out Friday. Uh. Like, um, it was in the chronic Snoop Dogg. Like there was all this, it was, weed was part of yeah. society now. And and then classic rock had like talked about weed in all these different ways. So our dads and stuff kind of thought weed was kind of cool. like right? But don't do it. But it was like this, this kind of gray area of something that maybe was really cool. And, uh, and I knew about alcohol and I didn't, I tried to drink a little bit and it was, I remember drinking and thinking, oh, this can't be. What everyone likes is terrible. Yeah. And smoking cigarettes was not like you didn't get high from that. It wasn't euphoric or enjoyable. It does give you a
0: buzz. It's give you
1: a little something, but it wasn't like great. Yeah. And so um pot was like, maybe pot is gonna be cool. Everybody likes this. It says all this stuff and all the like imagery of like what it's like to be stoned seems really fun <laughs> and cool. So um my friend got Weed from somebody at his high school and brought it, and we were smoking before the movie Friday. It was our first time smoking. It's a good choice. And he literally got a leaf, a
0: pot leaf. To roll it in?
1: No. That was what he bought. From oh, the guy. That was weed to us. We had seen the pot leaf. I see. And the guy sold him a leaf, cause I don't know, he must thought this was funny or whatever. Like he had to know. It's like Scott Tinnerman. You know? And so he sold this he sold him a leaf. I forget what we paid like ten bucks or something for this leaf. And, um, <laughs> we didn't know. We cut it up and smoked it and we're like, none of us knew why we didn't get high we got a little something, and we are like, Oh, is this what getting eyes like? And nothing really, but it was a pretty much a failure. Yeah. But then we got some pot from these kids at our grade school that were kind of the cool kids now.
0: Kids in the grade school well, were selling it. You didn't even they, buy it from the high school kids? We were <laughs> also now in high school.
1: Kids. I see. We okay.
0: I see. They I see. used
1: to be in our grade school when we were in grade school. Okay. And so they were in high school at a, at a, a more troublesome high school and they had real pot for sure, uh, you know? And so when we got it from them, it didn't, it was like crumbled up looking and it didn't look the same really. And so now we, when we smoked that, I remember I smoked it myself because I got it before we, I could see them. And I smoked a little bit and I was on the phone with my girlfriend at the time and I was watching The Simpsons. I was like, The Simpsons is so funny. <laughs> I was being ridiculous. It, it was super stereotypical. I was like, what's wrong with you? And uh, I just remember thinking, oh, this is super great. I like this. Yeah. And it was the beginning of a beautiful friendship between yeah. me and
0: I like to I like to joke that uh, Mary Jane is the only woman who's never treated me poorly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Believe it. Yeah. So, so, um, I, I was into weed then, right? Sure. Smoking it. But, uh, I, uh, I, I didn't really do anything in the weed industry. So, uh, I, I started writing on one of these, uh, cannabis forums, right. And I was like writing articles on there. And then, um, I had, I would spend a lot of time writing these huge, things i wrote a big thing about vaporization and like just teaching people everything i knew i was way into weed more so than anybody i knew and at that time you know you would meet all kinds of like oh this is a weed scientist i know i would always outweed them you know <laughs> so like i knew okay i have a unique thing I'm, I'm gonna start putting my knowledge on here and i would read even these articles from all over and i knew more than a lot of these people so i was writing on there And then um, a martial arts website that I was reading, the UFC was banned from, from pay-per-view at this time. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of got into mixed martial arts through watching some videotapes when I was really young and then it kind of went away. And, uh, my friend had been like, Oh, it's back, but it's on the internet. And we like, there's these websites. Right. And so I was reading one of these websites and then somebody was like, I'm starting a new website and I need writers. And so I, just, I was, like, I'll write for that. I know a lot about it from watching and like doing I'm way into that too. I started writing for their website. So I was writing weekly columns for this website, MMA uh, Weekly. Mm-hmm. It's like a, a big website now. And the, the guy who had hired me, his name is Ryan Bennett. He died in a car accident in his 30s. And it was tragic. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so I was writing for that website and then a weed magazine started on the weed side So like, I'm going to make a magazine, you know? So I sent him samples of my articles and like he saw my weed articles on the, the weed forum. It was a place called overgrow. And it was like, if you were into weed anywhere in the world, you were on this website.
0: And so, uh, now what, you, what year was this just to kind of set the, that had to be like late
1: nineties, maybe early two thousands, okay. like the whole period of time that I was on there. And, uh, like it got raided by the police eventually and shut down. Or like it, it was also like a, a, a victim of the cannabis, uh, criminality. That were
0: they growing or anything? No, or? it
1: was just a website.
0: But it was uh, like, oh, well. there's this
1: too much on this website.
0: Yeah. You're promoting it too much info. Yeah. Yeah. You
1: know, it was a different time.
0: And so Instagram, you still can't do it. (laughs) Oh yeah, exactly.
1: It's it's a weird circle. It is. But, uh, I sent him the articles and I started writing for this weed magazine called treating yourself magazine and it was from Canada and the guy had gotten in trouble and he couldn't come to America, but we had this booming medical scene. So he was getting all these opportunities to do stories, but he couldn't do them. And he didn't know anybody who would do them for free. So I would do them for free. So uh, I started writing for this magazine for years. And eventually I I started meeting him in Amsterdam when I would go to the cannabis cup. They would have a booth and uh, I I went many, many times. And eventually I uh, talked him into letting us demonstrate the vapor swing, which was one of the very first dabbing contraptions and, uh, we won the cannabis cup that year, that was 2009. So that was the very first time any dabbing related product was entered into the cannabis cup in any sort of way. And, uh, and we won with that thing. We won the product cup and I was very proud of that. Yeah. A few years later, I took second place in one of the, uh, it was in Oakland, one of the high times events in Oakland, the cannabis cup in Oakland. And we should have won that too, but there was like a booth literally next to where you voted that was giving grinders away. So a grinder won the best product.
0: <laughs> the Doesn't ever. seem that innovative. <laughs> first ever domeless nail is what
1: we had entered and we won second place.
0: Yeah.
1: So I was on the cutting edge of all that stuff. Um, and, and that's kind of how I, I did all that, that stuff with, with getting into cannabis and from, from the magazine, it took me into winning those things. And then it took me into like being this person in the dab world that was like very cutting edge on that. And that kind of opened the doors to me being in the secret cup and doing all that. I I grew weed and I made oil. I was one of the very first people doing that. I, I was probably one of like five people in all of California that was making and selling oil to this dispensaries Mm -hmm. so it was a very different small world we all knew each other and like it was like it was cool but it was not cool also
0: yeah there's a lot of looking looking back on those times i'm sure it was uh there's a lot of good times and a lot of uh things that you know it's it's when it's a small world like that it's it's it feels a little safer but at that time there was so much that wasn't safe about it as well and now it's more safe but it's also you know i don't know if the right word but it's a a little you know it's becoming a little more commercialized and sterilized a bit you know as it's as it's brought into a real industry i have
1: a great comparison so i like to put it to like I think a lot of people can understand getting into a musician kind of early on when they're not popular, right? You're like This band 100% is cool.
0: gets popular. And then all
1: of a sudden they're getting played on the radio. Yeah.
0: And then
1: Like that nerdy girl that you don't like at school is into the band that
0: you like, and you're like, this isn't cool. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guilty of this too. <laughs> right?
1: And so, uh, cannabis is kind of experiencing this right now. It's like our ugly teenage years. It's, it's, I think eventually going to develop into a beautiful thing, yeah. but ugh, right now, yeah. it's all, it's full of all kinds of people that I just totally despise. And, um, you go to the cannabis events, like the cannabis business thing in Vegas, and it's just gross. This, these aren't our fans. Who are all these people?
0: Well, I think it's the reality that there are a lot of, you know, and look, I'm, I'm, I'm torn because, you know, cannabis. I've been around cannabis for a really long time. And when I decided, you know, I saw the writing on the wall, so to speak, about legality, I I went overseas, spent a couple of years overseas. And when I came back, Washington State and Colorado had become legal while I was gone. Now, I was thinking that I was like, this is going to be the next thing. And so when I made that decision and I was like, I'm, you know, I'm going to take this serious and I'm going going to make a a go at this in the real thing. Um, But I think there's got to be a way to sort of balance the two of them, you know, and I, 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 I really try to convey this because. I recognize we need the lawyers, we need accountants, we need those things, we need banking, we need finance, we need all these things to make it into a real industry. But we can't let all those types that haven't been from the culture come in and make all the decisions about how the industry is going to evolve either. It's got to be a combination where we're being met halfway where the people who have fought the fight and have been in it long before it was legal, And didn't just wait around for an opportunity to make money, you know, that there's a meeting of the minds there in the middle so that it can sort of, you know, keep its soul, so to speak. Because, you know, a lot of the things I think that that have tried, we've seen where other industries have been around for decades and we think, well, we're going to culture changes and we're going to make these industries change, too. It's very difficult to make things that have been a certain way for decades to change, that change is very slow. But with cannabis, we do have an opportunity as an industry to like decide how we're going to do this from the ground up, we can really set the stage for how we want it to be and turn into that beautiful thing like you were referring to. But I think it does have to be met halfway, because I don't want to see this side come in and take over. And I recognize that this side can only take it so far, you know, they kind of need each other.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree with that. Yeah. I basically think uh, kind of what you said, like, I I don't like the direction that it's going in, but I don't think it's like appropriate to try and make laws to stop it or or do any of that. It's going to go in the direction that it's going to go, whatever. But I do think it's very important to not cut out like farmers markets and the ability for smaller people to participate in this process and to do it on a level where yeah maybe you're not able to get all of your product packaged and like have it all this whole way but that type of buying environment that we talked about earlier where you know people can look at the pot and they can just buy what they're looking at that should be a legal thing in some sort of way we have to find a way to be able to incorporate this so that smaller people can participate and not be lost in red tape, like having to pay all these different people to get to market. You yeah. Know? And it just needs to be far more affordable for, you know, the average Joe, the, the mom and pop, the 30 year legacy farmers that have been doing this, you know, generationally.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't disagree with you, but I recognize also that it is still federally illegal and they're just not going to cut out all this red tape, especially here in California. And so, and, you know, there's part of me that's like, and in the model I really see that's working because, you know, and I don't know, because when I was sort of younger, I I, I didn't drink until I was like 24 or something. you know I, I didn't really drink young. but I, I don't remember a lot of craft breweries around when I was in the 90s and early 2000s. Craft breweries have I feel like something that has become very popular and has found a way to become very successful in the alcohol and beer industry. And I feel like that similar model could work for these smaller operators. And, and I don't know how that's going to be because I don't see them ever saying, we're going to let you just grow something and then go sell it untested. Like, I don't think they're ever going to let that happen. So I think there's got to be or or there's got to be a way like one of the companies. What was it? Was it flow Canna? I think that uh, that was I don't know if they still do this, but I think originally the idea was that they were. Buying, they were sourcing all their product from all these individual small farmers. You know, there has to be some sort of concerted effort like that. And I don't know if that worked out or not, but there has to be some sort of concerted concerted effort to make that happen because you know there's going to be a lot of lost knowledge sort of that goes out the door as well from some of these growers you know these i understand i've been in the most state of arts grow facilities the state has to offer for sure and i realize it's definitely a data driven science at this point but there are a lot of these little trade tweaks and you know that aren't data driven no numbers are are kept on these some of these farms from these old guys and and it the grow amazing things I,
1: I like to to tell this little story like like um and i don't know if this has a lot to do with it or not but the kind of thing that you're getting is like i remember i, I went to a farm once and and uh, the guy he loves his plants so much and he told me he got up every morning and he will go out to them and he will breathe on the plants to wake them up in the morning and i just remember thinking like You know, these, these warehouses think they're going to recreate this. Like you're just not, you're not, you're not doing these things. Like you don't have this love for these plants. And I don't know that this is, you know, a definable factor in how they're turning out in the end, but somehow when we're doing our events and these people are competing. That, and we're you know, blindly lab- relabeling things. And, and another fun thing that we would do at our events is we would ask people, oh, pick out your entry. And very frequently, these people could not pick their own mm-hmm. entries out. So it, it, wasn't, it wasn't what a lot of people think. Like, it was, oh, they knew who, no. No, people just know. They know, they can tell. There's something about that. But like, who makes the best food? Like, Applebee's? Does, does Applebee's make the best food or is it some one time restaurant that there's no other location, right? You know, like it's, it's the same thing. And, and it's, it's very, um, it's a, it's a big world. So I do know some people that are participating in this whole world and, and they're able to have their company and they're able to do all the stuff and, sure. and, and have all that. And yes, I want, the laws to come so that we can do all this stuff the right way and have these lounges and do the, the legal events and everything, but we are outlaws. So the world we live in right now is a black market world. And guess what? You can go to an event tonight and you can go buy weed just how we've talked about.
0: Just like you've always done for 30, 40 years.
1: Yeah. <laughs> there's a whole bunch of different booths and they're all legal companies. And
0: they're, (laughs) well, I don't think it's any secret. I mean, Uh, what, two thirds of the pot produced in California goes is to the illegal market.
1: Yeah, And And, so uh, until like the world of legal business people or whatever, want to accept that you, you cannot control us. We are going to do what we want to do. And if uh, you want to play by our rules, then we will play maybe. But if you don't, then it's fine. We'll go into the shadows where we've always been and we're going to keep doing things the way that we've always done them. And, and uh, there's plenty. I, I mean, I, I might know one or two people in the legal market. and there are like a hundred people in the sure. black market. And so it's a tough world. These people are not having a wonderful, glorious life when, like it was when they could sell to the dispensaries. Sure. But they are surviving.
0: Well, I think that's that's what it comes down to. It's like you're you're it, it's different, but you're taking people who have grown a plant for a really long time as their career, as their how they take care of their families and provide for their families. And you're now telling them that they can't do that, which is is like, you know. I don't know. It's a similar conversation to yours. People are trying to tell, you know, well, what was the, well, it was a couple of years ago. I think there was a thing about coding and truck drivers or something. And it's like, well, you can't, ex- I mean, don't get me wrong again, as we were talking earlier, you got to be adaptable in life <laughs> to some extent. You can't just stay in place, but there has to be some, some, some also some understanding that, okay, they do need to adapt, but we can't expect them to totally change everything of what they're doing. They can't just stop growing weed and go do something go be an accountant. That's not going to happen. So how do we set them up that they can transition into the legal market somehow whatever capacity that is i don't know if that's growing and supplying for a bigger over umbrella company or what it is but if they can know that they're going out and you know i mean i think they should all single batch just like they do in in and, and and number and number the the weed just like they do for for liquor you know and sell it at a premium as a boutique, and, and you know, really play up, you know, the terroir and the cultivar and all of the things about the about the microclimates of where it's grown, and all these things. Like, it needs to be. There needs to be a lot of branding, and, and unfortunately, as you said, you know, these people are surviving, but they don't necessarily have the funds to forget about getting into the legal industry. Simply, even market themselves that way regardless of if they had the money to do that you're really not allowed to market yourself that way <laughs> anyway
1: yeah it's it's a tough it's a tough world
0: i agree with you yeah. though that,
1: that i do think there's a way
0: yeah somehow and and the only way to do it is to have conversations with people from both sides people've got to meet you know and and come and come to an understanding that there's there's going to be middle ground into the future so one thing that's interesting going
1: uh, state to
0: state is that
1: there is vastly different laws from state to state. Crazily different, And uh, it is really interesting to see kind of how some things are working and some things are not. And I think through this kind of trial and error process, we might eventually come to some sort of consensus as to like, this place is doing it. Here's all the numbers. It seems to be working. Let's start to try and implement this same game plan more
0: places i encounter a lot of egos in policymakers <laughs> that want to do it their way yeah. and i'm like you know by now there's been enough places that have you know come up with ordinances and, and ways to do licensing like why don't we learn from what they've done good and what they've done poorly and take the just quentin tarantino Tino them. Right, just right. take the good yeah. kick out the bad and combine it all together in a way that makes sense for your community Oftentimes, it's not what they want to do. But you're right. The states are doing it so vastly different. And ultimately, like, I'm kind of – at first, I keep thinking, well, it would be nice if it was uniform. But no, I, I'm fine with it actually being different state by state as long as they somehow allow for, uh, you know, interstate, you know, distribution That's to what occur. I
1: really, really like to see, too.
0: It'll, it'll eventually happen and – I hear talks about, you know, um, Washington, Oregon and California doing something even before federal happens, which but, you know, it's always just. You hear it, and it never really goes anywhere. And so I, I don't know, but I think it is inevitable. My biggest fear is that uh, everybody's trying to 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 get take their cut of this. And you know, when the federal government came out and said, "Well, for our plan, we want to tack on an extra twenty five percent tax," I was like, "You're literally going to propagate the the illegal industry that they don't want to be in existence anymore. They're, they're not helping it." Yeah, it's like it's, they're not very logical. <laughs> yeah, it's a
1: bizarre thing. Like, um, and I do fear the the Coca Colas of the world um, finally thinking that now's the time that we should enter into the cannabis world because that uh, nobody knows what that kind of thing is going to be like.
0: So this is the con- this is uh, what everybody, I think. This is why the industry I think is so crazy right now is because everybody realizes that it's a double-edged sword. So to be developed into a real industry, we need banking. But the moment we get federal banking available as an industry, all those companies are gonna jump right in yeah. because then they, don't have the, they no longer have the risk
1: yeah. of Amazon losing money. Not
0: deliver your weed. If you haven't been watching, Amazon's been pushing for legislation that would allow them to sell. I mean, they are ready. They are dying to sell it. And
1: it's it's and and it's coming. and
0: And if enough people, whether you know they're the individual small boutique farmer or whether they're a quote unquote big company in the state when those companies come in they're going to dwarf everybody yeah and i think everybody realizes that and that's why everybody's crazy trying to grab market share because they realize mm-hmm. like eventually when coke pepsi marlboro all these companies come in they're just going to buy everybody out yeah. and then we're going to be stuck with shitty weed okay. unless yeah. unless these boutique farmers find a way to do craft, craft cannabis yeah so
1: they, like god forbid when they allow it to be grown in mexico and shipped across the border, then you will see a like a tremendous change. Man,
0: <laughs> I can't wait to go back to the days of Mexican brickweed. <laughs> I haven't had that in so long.
1: <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a scary and exciting world. It, it I think there's wonderful things coming. I think there's also terrible things coming. I'm happy to be watching on the sidelines. Yeah. Uh, there's parts of me that want to get back into doing events or something. Um, some sometimes, but I'm much happier making movies. Yeah.
0: So let's, let's talk about some of your other, other movies to two, sure. one, one, of the other uh, topics that you, uh, that you have covered is Bigfoot Oh, Sasquatch. Yes, my most popular
1: movie. Yeah.
0: yeah. So <laughs> I grew up fascinated by this when I was a kid and, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if I really believe Bigfoot exists, but um, I think I'm still intrigued by it. And I think it's uh, because the, what I'm intrigued by is what is it called? Gigantopithecus or yes. is, is the giant ape uh, from 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 one hundred thousand years ago or something. So, I mean, and I guess I'm intrigued by it because I also I'm I, I'm. In the process of reading a lot of graham hancock and randall carlson and and things like this and so you know where i'm going with this about lost uh, a society with amnesia so like i'm in i'm fascinated by the fact that perhaps there was a time when these creatures did exist and humans did exist as well as a possibility because there is a lot of lore from native americans and others about these sort of things. And so who knows, you know, you
1: basically said everything I, I feel also like <laughs> the native American stuff, there's all these different right. names, like hundreds of names, uh, for Sasquatch. There's these stories of you don't go out at night cause the hairy man, the wild man of the woods is going to get you, get your kids. You mm-hmm. do do bad things. Um, yeah, there's, there's so many things that point to this creature used to exist at very least.
0: Now, do you think it could at all still exist? So
1: I hear all these stories from all over the world and I'm, I was kind of with you on, um, I'm on the fence, right? And I I guess I'm still on the fence, but one of the things I did learn doing the documentary was, uh, learning about how many newly discovered species there are every year.
0: Of just random species, uh, okay. animals, yeah. animals, insects, whatever. All kinds of things. Yeah.
1: And I, I thought, okay, so like maybe there's like, you know, a dozen animals or something discovered. It's like that thousands. That like a lot. It's like thousands. There's thousands. Yeah. And so, and sometimes they're big. I know there was like some sort of like marsupial or something that was like relatively large. that yeah. was discovered recently. So I thought, okay, so that's the case. How, how, how efficient are we at like really exploring all kinds of stuff when we don't know that much about the ocean? It's pretty likely.
0: We don't know anything about the ocean.
1: It's pretty likely that, that there's places that there's stories about these creatures where they might still exist. I don't know if California is one of those right. places, right. but, uh, it seems like somewhere in the world. One of these might turn out to be, and I think a primate. I think like an undiscovered primate. Some people think they are more human than a primate. I don't think that. I think probably primate.
0: I'm 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 to the point where I kind of feel like so I'm intrigued by new cases because I feel like all the cases, all the evidence, all the arguments about this are from like the 70s and 80s, pretty much. And after that, it seems like cameras got a lot better. And all of a sudden there seemed to be no more sightings <laughs> is how it feels.
1: There's, there's, there's a whole bunch of them, but, uh, the Bigfoot people are their own worst enemy because yeah. there's no consensus on footage that is authentic. That is recent. There's some where they're like, maybe that, maybe that but they all kind of debunk each other to where they're like, that guy's a fraud. And this is the real, and, and no, no, that guy's a fraud. And uh, like, there was a—I believe it was Netflix had had a, a, a show where they had like full-on face pictures of a of Bigfoot, and it would look like. I think
0: I watched this. Yeah, it
1: looked like <laughs> if you had ever seen like, some of those like old mori Povich or one of those old talk shows where they had guys that like grew beards that were their whole face. Yeah, that's what it looked like to me. It looked like a human guy with a, like a face beard, one of those like full face beards.
0: Well, that can really happen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, that can really happen. And they could really have a guy sit there and do that. And it's not Bigfoot that lives in the forest, but uh, you know, that guy says it's real. And, and uh, there's, there's stuff that is questionable to me that I've seen where I'm like, oh, maybe, but nothing definitive. You're absolutely yeah. right. We do have all these drones now. We do have all these uh, cameras and equipment that should make it much more efficient to be able to capture some sort of video or evidence of these things. And we don't have that, do we?
0: No, but then there's the other side of me that says, okay, that's true. But one, are we really sending drones out into the forest, you know, to look for, for anything? I mean... And the other part of me says, you know, when you get up into, like, British Columbia and those forests, you know, northern Washington and on up in that that mountain range into Alaska, like, that's some really remote areas out there. And I don't know how frequently, you know, something could be out there that we've not encountered. I mean, I'm not saying it is, but it's a, it's a possibility. It might be a remote one. I think that, too. You know? you know we don't know everything you can't just write it off we just recently not that long ago i don't know when it was but not that long ago this discovered that the myth of the giant squid was real right, right. you know so i don't know but i think the likelihood of it is is i don't know i'm not in favor i'm not in favor of it i think they probably if, the, if those theories of glacial impact of impact theories and the glacial melt theories if that did ha- transpire, I think a creature that big probably did have a hard time surviving those occurrences, like most of the other large animals, mammals, dinosaurs, you know all, whatever even, you know, all even those
1: Gigantopithecus, things. Uh, they didn't know about that. Until they found like some bones in this like small shop, and then they went to the person and like, where did you find these? And then they went back, and then they were able to find more. And so, uh, and and that's that like thousands of years, you know. So, I'm with you. It's so likely that this thing is uh, gone extinct at some point. At least mostly. Maybe somewhere in the world there's one.
0: What is some of the more compelling? like when you go and you talk to somebody you did this documentary for example like what is their mo- what's the most compelling argument that you've you've heard that it exists about bigfoot yeah
1: um well i mean
0: or is there a compelling argument because at this point even the patterson film has kind of been debunked right
1: to an extent but they they go back to referencing that as one of their most reliable evidences and they don't think that it's been debunked. They, the, the Bigfoot believers believe in that film still. And uh, even though various people have said they were in the suit, they-
0: Various people saying it doesn't help either. Yeah,
1: that, that's not a wonderful thing that maybe sure one of them could have been in the suit, but sure. and not all of them could have been. So somebody's lying. That aids them in believing that the video could be more true. It's hard to say i 've watched yeah. it, and i've thought, yeah, it does look like a suit and then i 've watched it and thought hmm i 've seen enough animals. It could be an animal too it, it's i mean if it if it, it 's unintentionally good if if it is yeah. uh, like a fake
0: yeah
1: um, but nevertheless you 're right there's not a lot of compelling evidence as to these things currently existing the, the, they like to go to, that there's been hair found that has been tested to be, um, like, I guess an, an animal unknown is what they say, but I couldn't find a lot of that. When I tried to do my research, I, I found that a lot of those situations are, it was unknown at a certain point, And then at a certain point they decided it was a bear or something. So, yeah. uh, it's it's hard to say what definitively uh, where we're at with all the evidence and, and things. And a lot of them also believe that bodies have been hidden and there's a conspiracy to hide Bigfoot from the public. So that's why we don't have these pictures and evidences. And I'm not uh, super confident in the government, but kind of doubt that there's a conspiracy to hide clearly
0: They clearly <laughs> lean towards censorship, but... Uh... Yeah, you, know,
1: you know just
0: i don't I don't know if they're this is their focus yeah
1: I, I kind of and and then like worldwide like Russia yeah. and all these places are playing the same game I'm not sure so uh i I walk the fence on it I like to imagine that it is real and and I love the the unanswered questions yeah like, here we are we've got this thing we've been able to you know, debunked that it's this or that. It's in, in undecided. We don't know.
0: Little I love of, that. A little bit of mystery's good in yeah. life. The mystery
1: part is what keeps me interested. There's other things that I'm more interested, like UFOs are, are more uh, believable to me, and I think unexplainable.
0: Let's just jump right in because that's the next thing you'd cover. That's like of of crazy interest.
1: Yeah. So I, I've gotten to talk to. I've Various. watched the
0: X-Files I don't know how many times all the way through. So
1: our UFO <laughs> movie is called I Want to Believe uh, in honor of the X-Files. And that's uh, very, one of my... By,
0: by the way, had you, land, you landed Nick Pope for that, right? Yeah, we did. Yeah. yeah.
1: We were able to get him at a convention that he was also doing. And uh, that really made all the interviews possible, honestly. So... Uh, I'm trying to do another UFO thing and it is really difficult to kind of nail some of these people down. But uh, eventually, we'll get there. That one was... Nick Pope said something to me off camera that he... At that time, he said... Uh, I, I said to him, oh, all this new military like evidence of these UFOs. What do you think? Are these aliens? And he like soured my my hopes. And it's like, nope. I think they're military. And that was very early on. Mm -hmm. And so now it seems like a lot of people are kind of saying that. So I don't know if he was like, just like early on to something or if this was like, you know, just kind of the direction that it it usually goes. I, I don't know how to describe
0: it. I mean, look, the Pentagon has been making money disappear off the books for a long time and lots of it. So it would not it doesn't shock me that they have technology that no one knows about. How good that technology is, I don't know. You know, that's that's kind of the interesting thing. I mean, what do you think about this, all this uh this hoopla and them admitting it sort of, I don't even know if it's hoopla. I'll be honest. I've been disappointed with the whole thing so far. Oh, for sure. I almost am starting to feel like Lou and Nick and, you know, some of these other people, uh, Ryan Graves or, or something like that's his name as well. There's a few of them, Jeremy Corbell. Like I almost wonder if they're not like, either purposely providing some disinformation or if they're being used. Right. Because it's like all this dangling, but like nothing's been said or released that matters at all so far.
1: I was very hopeful when you started to see the Tic Tac stuff and the go fast and, and you're like, okay, this is more than me normally do. This is, yeah. this is a good direction and this is something. This is evidence of some kind. This isn't just words. And so I like that. But that's kind of where it stopped. And and, um, even that was vague. You're like, okay, this is something to look at. I don't really know what I'm looking at. It doesn't look like something that I know what it is. Sure. And they're all all making a big deal out of it. So this is good. This is like, yeah, okay. But... um, I agree with you. They do kind of beat around the bush. They're like, we're going to talk about UFOs. And then they're like, so.
0: What about We can't them?
1: really talk about UFOs. And, yeah. like, and it's like, okay, well then, like, what are we doing? Like, um, they say things and like, oh, this could be a metal, not of this earth. Or, you know, they're just so vague.
0: Look, buddy, I can get I can get that much information from watching *Ancient Aliens*.
1: It's it's really really anything tough. could be. And what we want is okay. Tell us what you know.
0: Yeah. Just tell us. Just tell us what you know.
1: But no, we can't get that. It's all this. Oh, maybe there's something, but we can't say. And and it, yeah, I'm with you. It's been extraordinarily disappointing. I now have no hope that they're going to tell us anything. And I wonder if this is just a smoke screen for something that uh, they just want to keep us busy, like waiting, or I I don't know. But I also know, uh, I know people who are actively trying to get Freedom of Information Act stuff, and that seems to be going well. So they keep getting it, and there keeps being stuff that you would think, oh, they don't want that out. Yeah. So that's interesting to me too. And I do have faith that maybe someday we're going to get to somewhere where they give us something. And they're like, here is the picture. Here is whatever it is. And, it, and it's something. But yeah, I'm with you. So far, very disappointing, not a lot.
0: I do feel like it'll happen sooner rather than later. But I'm think, I, I, I really don't know. I'm kind of all over the place on it, to be honest. Yeah. Like drone technology is insane. So, I mean, these could be drones moving in really crazy you know, directional patterns that's possible. But yet one of the most in, more interesting uh, people that I've heard speak on this, and I actually do believe his account is uh, David Fravor.
1: Okay, yep. yeah,
0: I believe him. Too. You know, and, and the one thing where he was talking about it being, I don't know how many thousands of feet in the air, and then being basically at sea level in like one second, that's the part of a drone that I don't get. And yeah. that's what sort of carries me back around to Bob Lazar and his conversations about how, you know, it's it's interesting because we're sort of to, to this to this area now where we're trying to bridge certain things about science that we don't understand. And the way he described that those crafts moved sort of like might explain being able to move from point A to point B of that distance that quickly.
1: I agree. That gives me big hope too. and. Uh, I hate that there's some question about Bob Lazard amongst the UFO people. That they're not all on board.
0: What is the question? Because he has had the most consistent story of any person for over a long period of time. I mean, usually people' story changes. So his so his really doesn't.
1: Yeah. There are inconsistencies. A little so bit. So if you but... do look it up, there are certain things that they like to point out as to, oh, he said this, and then uh, he said this. So this obviously means he's full of it. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel like that. I believe him too. I think that, you know, I agree. It's hard to remember. And maybe like there's sure. reasonable explanations to any sort of thing that has been a problem with his story. Yeah, And I don't think that there's... A reasonable explanation as to why he would do it, but um, I also agree with with some of the other people that uh, like I don't know what a hypersonic missile looks like and how that works and you know, from what I understand, it's pretty impressive so uh, sure, could there be technology that's kind of breaking the current laws of science that we all think are you know definitive that's absolutely possible maybe it does work the way Bob Lazar talked about maybe it works kind of different but maybe it works I think is the, the yeah. main right. uh, thing to take away from here and, and maybe it's not ours and so uh, like it, it, I was thinking oh okay here we go Russia and the Ukraine if we see tic tacs around we kind of know who's they are <laughs> So, uh we haven't seen that.
0: Um Do we know whose they are?
1: I would assume they're Russian. That's what they all think right now. They all think that the tic-tac is somehow a hypersonic missile type thing, maybe, and uh that they are Russian.
0: So, I may have a misunderstanding, but my understanding of, of the hypersonic missiles are that they travel in a direction so incredibly fast that basically Russia could launch one to the U.S., and the U.S., even as fast as they could know about it, could not respond before it would hit its target.
1: That's that so, so, what I understand too.
0: So I, I don't know if that correlates with the way the Tic Tacs and some of these other objects are moving in the air. But what I wonder is kind of going back to, could this be defense department stuff, is have they figured out, you know, obviously, when Bob Lazar was there, they were trying to figure out how that propulsion worked, and they right. not while he was there could they do it. But maybe he's been gone a long time. Maybe they've figured it out.
1: Uh, I I don't know for sure, um, but I, I from what I remember, it's like they they don't think that the Tic Tac is a hypersonic missile. Maybe they do, but uh, I think they think it is based on a similar propulsion. I uh, think okay. like That's how it's achieving these like unbelievable. Uh, things that it's doing, interesting, or, or maybe uh, maybe I'm mixing it up with the go fast Maybe that's the one that they think is is that. I, I'm not 100 percent on it. Sure. When I do these interviews,
0: We're that's not, part of
1: me asking. I like hope the, I
0: hope no one out there is like taking. Yeah. You know, look, please look things up. I tell. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the disclaimer with. is in the title. You know, <laughs> if you're listening and taking everything we say as as facts, you you. You shouldn't.
1: Yeah, I am. I am fascinated by these things too, but I am not a UFO expert sure. by any sort of means, and so I'm parroting like things that I hear and, and things that I've seen from these people. So, absolutely, um, when I do my my films, I think that's the advantage: is that uh, you're not hearing my part. You're just hearing from the expert. Right. And so take it for what it's worth. Watch
0: Jeremy's (laughs) movies and documentaries.
1: Yes. Yeah. So if you are, that's what you should do. (laughs) uh, Sky Island Storytelling uh, is the name of my company. The website is theskyisland.com. And absolutely. You can type my name into your search engine on Amazon or find my IMDB. And that's how you find my movies.
0: So, Carrying along on this just a little bit, what are your thoughts on, on the possibilities of, uh, you know, I like to watch ancient aliens. It's fun, mm-hmm. you know? Oh yeah. What are, what, are, what are your, what are your thoughts on, on how the pyramids were built? So because, I man built the pyramids. Yeah. I don't think it's
1: aliens, but, uh, I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Some of that stuff. I saw a really, really great explanation somewhere once where like, um, they had it all kind of diagrammed out to where it seemed like, okay, well the way that they built them is you, you kind of build from the outside and then you work your way inside mm. and that's how you you're just go up one, build in, go up one. And then like, that's basically how they were able to do it. Um, I don't know. Like I don't, yeah. I'm not sure that anyone knows for sure how they built the pyramid.
0: The Problem is the size of those rocks.
1: There's a bunch of rocks. There's a bunch of problems with
0: it I mean, I also don't really think it was aliens uh, i'm I'm much more intrigued by some of you know the again going back to kind of Graham Hancock's theories that look there's just maybe they didn't have iPhones you know uh two hundred and fifty thousand years ago, but perhaps there were humans that was understood some things that they could do, and when they got wiped out from cataclysms. Uh, that knowledge was sort of just lost and we learned new knowledge.
1: I think similar. And and I just think um, we're taking for granted how soft we've become. You know? Very we much. are not the same humans that those people are. Those were a different kind of person. Right? For sure. And um, there's not a lot to do when you're in those times. And so I think that we really have no, no f- real great understanding of what it was like back then, or what people were like back then. And of course, what their tools were like right. back then. And so all these things play a factor into not really understanding how they were able to do this. But I agree with you. I think probably humans did this somehow
0: yeah i find it very you know through sound waves you can you can do a lot of things i you know i don't know i i some of those bolts they just they're so big i just don't know how anybody can move them because even by today's standards um they would be really impossible to to, to move even with all our machinery
1: and it would be i i just i can see it right now it'd be one of those situations where as soon as we saw how they moved them, we'd be like oh of course. Well, I mean, have all you, of us would then instantly understand.
0: Well, have you heard of the? Have you heard of the? I think it's called the Coral Castle in Florida.
1: I have not heard of
0: that. So there's this Coral Castle in Florida, and this guy, his his, let me think. He was building it for his wife or his girlfriend, and then she died or something. But he built this thing, and it's built out of gigantic pieces of coral and he built this whole thing by himself at night back in like the early 1900s i believe it yeah this and so like it's one of those things that some people are like well he he managed to just use ropes and levers and pulleys and levers and managed to do it and i'm like maybe but maybe that dude knew something i don't know
1: yeah it's hard to say but human uh, resilience we are an incredible creature and and the things we are capable of uh, I don't think we really have a great understanding of both what we will be capable of in the future and what we have been capable of in the past I'm always like flabbergasted when I see like uh, I-, I love watching human endurance uh Feats of me too of uh, exception, you know, where they're doing like CrossFit games, or they're like these these super powerlifter guys, or like the the world's strongest man type stuff, or or anything, you know, the Olympics. Yeah, Uh, it's all incredible,
0: motivating, inspiring. Mm -hmm. You know,
1: you know, never ceases to amaze me that you you know we think okay, this is the pinnacle of human accomplishment, and then somebody comes along and it's like there's
0: a new line well I think you can look at athletes from you know even when I was you know growing up in the 80s you know look Larry Bird and Magic Johnson were were great basketball players they were great athletes but they were in no way form or fashion in the kind of physical condition that today's average NBA player is yeah I mean, what we have figured out about nutrition, exercise, recovery, like it's totally changed the game. And this is it's really one of the one of the more interesting things that I think is that I look at the human body as it's just like clay. It's completely malleable. I mean, yes, there are certain genetical factors like I'm never going to be. I was never gonna be an NFL wide receiver. I didn't have the speed. It was just never gonna be there no matter how. I mean, I trained really hard, but my 40 time only got to so far down there, you know? And so it's like, there are certain limitations, but in general, you can really kind of mold yourself how you appear in any kind of shape you wanna be. You can be as ripped as you wanna be. You can be as big and bulky as you wanna be. You can be as flabby and not give a fuck as you wanna be. Right. <laughs> like, but you, it, all it is is make, making a decision and then taking the action to do it. Yep. It's, it's crazy. And then I also look at, like, all the different places on Earth that humans live and the way that, like, over time we've evolved and developed certain tendencies in those regions, you know, to survive in those climates. Yeah. I mean, the human is completely adapt, uh, back to adaptability. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, if is, we don't, so. we die off. Like thinking back on those cataclysms, you know, the uh, humanity more than once has came down to probably just a couple thousand people on Earth. And somehow it's managed to adapt and survive to those to those changes. I mean, right now I'm in the middle of I think it's called Underworld, a Graham Hancock book. Um It's focused, obviously, on his overarching concept of the lost civilizations, but it focuses really on the coastlines and all of the, basically, the underwater ruins that we don't know about. Back to what you were saying, I mean, the oceans, like, we're all, everybody wants to go to Mars but we don't know anything about the depths of our oceans and we're not designing any kind of vehicles to sustain those pressures, to be able to even explore it. The only one that's doing that is James Cameron. Yeah. yeah, (laughs)
1: It's so funny. Yeah. You would never imagine like a movie guy to be the one to, you know, advance uh, ocean exploration, but
0: that's the world we live in. It is. It is the world we live in. Yeah. I'm, I, I, I wish we would do more regarding the oceans because I think like love astronomy. I think we should be exploring space as well, but I I think we neglect that. And I think those are two areas where we could learn a whole lot about our own future, because one of the things I'm very concerned about, well, not, I shouldn't say very concerned about, but I mean, I don't lose sleep over it because I can't do anything about it, but is, is, When you listen to Randall Carlson talk about impacts, Mm -hmm. it makes me realize like, what was the movie that just came out? It was kind of Don't Look Up or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, definitely it had its agenda messaging, but like, other, but was pretty typical of what you might expect to happen because like the reality is, like, To my knowledge, we're not really doing a whole lot to look for these kind of of things floating through space in our solar system that could collide with us. And if we did, shouldn't we also be kind of developing some sort of like action plan so that we're not in a don't look up situation? You know, I would like to at least have three options lined up. And if the first two fail, at least we got a third one to go to before we all go have dinner.
1: Uh, I totally agree. And I.
0: Because I, uh, it's happened so many times. And when you start looking at how many of them are out there, especially in the belts, like it's only a matter of time. Between that and
1: then the super volcanoes, right? You got a couple How many things. super
0: volcanoes are there? Well, I mean, There's one in Yellowstone. Yellowstone right? is the big one that yeah. they talk
1: about. But I believe there is at least like a few others. Maybe yeah. Three or four others. Definitely over huge. in
0: the. South so, Pacific over in the yeah. Fiji area probably yeah ring then, of fire
1: like when these things explode then it's like you know a, a world killer right and so yeah we're we've just lived so long for you know we've got society kind of figured out to where okay um we over here in America haven't really had to deal with anything too terrible
0: uh
1: for a long time. Yeah. You know, and, and
0: not since the civil, I mean, civil war, that was the last war on this, on this
1: bad moments. Yeah. Nothing like really like that took the whole United States. Some could say COVID, but I don't know.
0: I think the last thing that unified everybody like that was, was when the twin towers got hit. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. But even then, like talk to people in New York and they're like, yeah, you guys did not,
0: Not the same as somebody in Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's like, you guys were with us and everything. And you're maybe scared and stuff, but like.
0: It wasn't like having, knowing that a bomb could drop anywhere at any time or, or that there's active warfare going on in your streets. Like that's a completely different scenario that we have not been, we've not had to deal with ever. Or any
1: kind of suffering, you know, like. Like all this new stuff with food shortages and, and this is brand new stuff to us. Whereas, uh, I'm not entirely sure this is brand new to the whole world. Like a it's, lot of places might've had to struggle through this many times.
0: So it's the, it's the Illuminati telling the Americans to go on a diet. <laughs> I always point. I'm like,
1: yeah, as the rest of the world starts to become America, we've sold our propaganda to the whole world. Everyone wants to be America now.
0: Well, that was the goal, right, is to sell democracy and Mm -hmm. capitalism to everyone, which look, I, I, you know, like I I like being able to choose our leaders and even though they all suck and, you know, I don't really like any of them, but uh, I think that's a good thing overall. I don't want to have a dictator. The big
1: problem and, and the real thing
0: that we sold to the whole world is that
1: money is the ultimate God. And if you are not making money, then what are you doing? And business over everything else. And that's why we're not exploring the ocean. Let them discover that there's diamonds or something down there, or you can make iPhones with like. They'll oceans. just destroy it though. You, know, <laughs> you, know, you <laughs> have to hold people back from going down and exploring the ocean if they could make money doing it. So that's what they want to go to the space for. Start to say like, they're already.
0: China and Russia are already trying to put a right. base on the moon to mine up there, aren't they?
1: iPhones with stuff that's in space let's go that's what it is and so and who knows what else they're going to be able to make with stuff that they're able to find in in these places If, if if we want things accomplished you have to find some sort of way of making it financially desirable and like that's I don't think that's a sustainable business model for society
0: it's not. That's the that's the problem is that, especially here in America, we've gotten to the point where we think that the trends will always continue. Profit will always go up. Revenue will always go up. You know, it's always going to be better numbers every quarter forever. And that is not the way any market works. That's not the way the economy works. I mean, I I hear people who get on TV and, you know, say their name says they're economists, but they talk ridiculous things that don't make any logical sense. And it's like, guys, it just doesn't work that way. You can't have these expectations that are ups and there are downs. And no, just because it goes down doesn't mean the CEO should get fired. Like maybe he made a bad decision. I mean, like evaluate it, but like, maybe it's just the market. Like don't like let's not freak out about everything that goes on.
1: Yep. That's what it is. You see like a company experiences growth, 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 small amount of problems, we're out of business the next day. <laughs> and then it's like what's happening in the world? You know, we're we're kind of setting ourselves up to be like, Okay, well what if that happens to Amazon tomorrow? They're like, you know, we decided we're not making enough money, we're just done. Yeah. Like now this is going to colossally changed
0: Jeff Bezos, back. Jeff Bezos loves money. He'll never stop yeah, Amazon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's yeah. trying to make Amazon take over the world.
1: Anything can happen, right? And like, that is true. Jeff Bezos is canceled tomorrow for whatever reason.
0: Like, who knows
1: what happens? They've know? already like, tried. Like, I just, I see like the unpredictability of, of counting on these companies. We already had the too big to fail. Moment, yeah. Right like this is not good we don't need to be counting on these companies to run society and i'm i'm concerned <laughs> well that's
0: the problem right we at least from from my perspective to some extent i i feel like political leadership isn't very good i feel like i agree with you we shouldn't whether we whether they are there is a good individual or not we shouldn't be dependent on an individual or a corporation to be a leader either and i'm not really sure what the answer is somehow we need to get somehow we need to get people who don't want to be leaders to be the leaders right. because those would be the good leaders yeah but it's it's shitty like it's terrible i nobody i know in their right mind except people who Genuinely think they're going to better society, or they have their own agenda, want to be politicians.
1: Uh, for me, it's it's not. There's not no one. You know, they'll line up a list of maybe ten people, and there's always a couple of them where I'm like, I kind of like that one. And there's maybe yeah. some young people and maybe some old people, um, but I'm like, okay, uh, I, I kind of like these ones. But those, the ones I like, are never the ones that everyone likes. Right. Theoretically right. Whatever. And so then we end up with okay, nobody likes these ones that I like, for whatever reason. Now I have this other choice between a bunch of people I don't like.
0: Both sides. Yeah, exactly.
1: This guy I don't like. We need more options. This girl I don't like. This girl I don't like. What what are we doing here? Like,
0: so we need more options. We had
1: the the options. There were there were. A few I liked.
0: Yeah, but they're not allowed to make it that far. Which is, they didn't
1: make it very Which far. is
0: why maybe we need to, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm up for exploring ranked choice voting because I think it would sort of change how that dynamic plays out with more than just two yeah. people.
1: I, I don't know what it is. I'm with you. I have no answers on yeah. this. But like, I'm not an know, expert. But there's people I like. I don't necessarily know that they would have been the answer, but like I, even from the non parties, like uh, the green party and the libertarian party, Um, there's people I've liked that have ran in these parties, but they just seem like a non choice that for whatever reason, American society has decided those people don't stand a chance no matter what.
0: I don't think, you know, and, and I probably, you know, have some libertarian tendencies, for sure um but you know even i'll admit like look i like gary johnson as a person i don't think i, I wouldn't have voted for him for president i mean he's he's not serious enough like, I, I don't you know, want the president to be a stoner he right. could be someone who occasionally consumes cannabis but he can't just be a straight out stoner like that yeah
1: yeah uh where i i, I met gary johnson and i interviewed him yeah he was not a stoner like he wouldn't smoke weed with me, right? <laughs> but anyway, um, I just feel like the ones we end up with are are literally the worst options. Yeah, and and so almost anyone else, I'm willing to give a shot. Like uh, there's a whole bunch that, and could we do worse than what we've got? I don't know that we could. So. I've, I've felt that way about both of our last places.
0: I like to say it can always so, be better, it can always be worse.
1: And then I get hopeful where I'm like Obama, maybe.
0: Even Trump, I'm like,
1: hey, this is a new thing. Maybe this will work out, all right. And then after a little bit of time, I'm like, God damn
0: it. I think it comes back to, and and look, I, I'm, I'm not, I think there's gotta be some elements of socialism in society for it to work effectively. But overall, like, capitalism is important as well. That being said, I think the real problem comes down to, like, the corporations and the uber, uber wealthy controlling both sides. Yes. Or or all all sides, in fact. Because... Ultimately, I sort of feel like it's like, you know, hey, you can have Pepsi or you can have Coke, but either way, you're drinking cola, bitch. Yeah. You know, we've already made that decision that you're going to drink cola. You can choose which, which twist, you know, you can like have blue or you can have red on the label, but it's still going to be cola. And
1: and that is my fundamental thing is like, when are we going to decide that businesses aren't going to run society, you know? And, and I don't know that we have any sort of plan moving forward that looks like anyone is is going to allow this it's clearly that's the way society is moving
0: the other thing that would help i think would be reversing citizens united but the problem with that is that the people in order to undo it the very people that it benefits would have to be the ones to undo it
1: yeah that's the problem with all of it the politics also all of I mean, the
0: government is actually set up kind of ter- terrible if you th- in in that in that particular way in the sense that that they're responsible for governing themselves like no other business or organization would allow that. Yeah,
1: it's brilliant if you're a part of it. For sure. Like a career politician or you're one of these people that plays in its world. It seems set up quite good for you. Yeah. But it's not set up for us, for all of us little minions that are you know the 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 meat in the grinder.
0: Yeah, a lot of a lot of people out here grinding hard and you know keeping their head just above water. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: it's a tough life. But um, this is also part of what I do with filmmaking. So a lot of our films we have a positive spin, and I'm trying to do like helping and uh, educational films that don't make me very much money, unfortunately, mm-hmm. but. I feel like it is important for us to all do something to try and make the world a better place. So here, here. if you are, are doing something at all, whether it is maybe not doing something that is bad or, or you are actively trying to help in some sort of a way, do something.
0: Yeah. It doesn't take, it doesn't take a lot, you know, yeah. find something that you're kind of passionate about, walk out in your community and go get involved in it. Mm-hmm.
1: If, if all of us were doing that, It would be miraculous how quickly the world would change.
0: Yeah, 100%. We're not, everybody wants to change it at the highest level. Uh And that's not where the change is going to be made.
1: Uh And we have small potatoes. We're not the big fish in this whole thing. Nobody asks me where. If we're sending money to the Ukraine, or if we're going to send people at the border, or yeah. if we're doing stuff, for, nobody asks me. I don't get to vote on any of these things. Where my tax dollars go, nobody asks me.
0: But, right? But you know, so, you can clean up the little pond where exactly, you're at, though. Exactly. You, know?
1: you can do things in your life, and what you start to find when you actually do do those things is that's what your life really is. Your life yeah. isn't watching the news and thinking about all these things that you have no say so in yeah. your life is your community and the people that you love and the things that you focus on and, and all of those things. And and we do have a great ability to contribute to those things and make them as good as they can be and, and sacrifice a little bit when it helps your neighbor or it helps in a way that you can see every day. And, and, um, uh, far more of us need to kind of get into that kind of world. And and I, I do see some of that, and, and I I really am happy yeah. that more and more people are kind of getting on that page. And I have faith that that's gonna improve a lot of places. And maybe that's all we need, you know?
0: Well, I think that's a beautiful way to, to sort of wrap this up on a beautiful, positive note like that. Tell people one more time where they can Catch, you, catch all your films and, and follow you at.
1: So uh, I live in Big Bear. It's called Sky Island. And so the name of my company, that's geographically, officially what a place like that is called. So my company is called Sky Island Storytelling. Because... I tell stories. I have a book coming out that's about all my bad experiences in the <laughs> And uh I hope to be doing more storytelling. You'll have
0: to let me know when that comes out. <laughs> yes, absolutely,
1: for sure. Um, and, and I expect that to do very well because that's what everyone loves to hear about. But uh my website is called theskyisland.com. island.com. And you can also just type my name, Jeremy Nori, into your Amazon Fire stick or wherever it is that you stream movies. And if any of my movies are on there, it's very likely that they will come up. Uh, If you're having trouble finding them, you can find them on IMDb and look them up by name. Or a a lot of times there are links on IMDb to watch them places too. My website has free links though for for all my movies. So you can watch every single one of my movies for free somewhere.
0: Nice. Yep. Website's definitely the easiest way to yeah to to access it all
1: and that has all my socials and links to everything else related to everything that I do
0: awesome well jeremy once again i appreciate you taking the time to come and chat with me and you know have have these conversations i know we talked about some silly stuff, some fun stuff, some serious stuff. But, uh, you know, I think having conversations is what people need to have more of these, these days, you know, be willing to have an open mind and look at things from different perspectives. So I appreciate you joining.
1: Thank you for having me. And I absolutely, uh, had a great time and agree. Yeah. Conversations are what it's all about. We had a wonderful conversation and I think that needs to happen more in the world.
0: Agreed. Thank you for joining another episode of the Evolved Idiots. Until next time, peace and love to the people of the planet Earth.